Father, thank you for the God of infinite love that you are. Thank you for for giving us the freedom to choose that love or not. Lord, I pray that none of us would walk away today without opening our hearts and our minds to receive the love that is preeminently revealed in Jesus Christ. Thank you. Thank you for inviting us to be your friends. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I was just a few years old when I got to go fishing for the very first time. My parents, I think, were gone, and I was going with my grandpa. And and we went to this little fishing hatchery there in Colorado, and and it was just teeming with fish. It's one of those amazing things where you cast the line in, and instantly... A fish jumps on the line, and you get to pull it in right away, and you feel really successful as a, as a tiny little child. And I pulled that fish in, and my grandpa helped me take the hook out of its mouth, and, and then he, he said, you want to hold it? I said, yeah, I want to hold it. This is my new friend, this new silver friend that has just come. I'm making friends with this fish. He said, well, you got to hold it tight, okay? Okay, I'll hold it tight. So I grabbed a hold of that fish, and I just began to hold it and hold it. And he said, smile for a picture, and I am squeezing that fish for all that I'm worth. And then the fish vomited on the spot. You know, I don't think that I made very good friends with that fish through my forceful actions. Today we're continuing with Revelation chapter 14. If you have your Bible open with me to Revelation chapter 14, and here we find our friend Jesus giving us this message that we saw a little bit of last week. We saw the first half of the second angel's message. Now, just in review, to remind you, these are the three angels' messages which are going to all the world. It says to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. And it comes right before you see Jesus coming back for the final harvest. And it's good news, not good advice. It's everlasting good news. And we saw last week that that the everlasting good news is what precipitates the fall of Babylon, because in chapter 14 and verse 8, it says a second angel follows. And so it's, it's the first angel that brings on the fall of Babylon. And for those of you who were here last week, how would you distill? What is Babylon? See how clearly it came through last week, or maybe not. Babylon is self-worship. It's self-exaltation. It's the, the thought that I can save myself. We saw that with the Tower of Babel as the origination of the city of Babylon. And then we saw it with Nebuchadnezzar who said, Is this not great Babylon which I have made? Right before his own fall in Daniel chapter 4. So now let's pick up and let's continue with Revelation chapter 14 and verse 8. And we're going to see good news here in the midst of what is an intense prophecy. Revelation chapter 14 and verse 8 says, And another angel followed saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Okay, so the first thing here is this entity, Babylon, is making all nations drink of what? The wine of the wrath of her fornication. Now, Jesus used wine to illustrate his own teachings. Do you remember that? He said, when, when they were condemning him because he was eating with the tax collectors and sinners with Levi Matthew's house, they, they condemned him. And right after that, he says, look, you can't put new wine into old wineskins. You guys need to be born again before you can understand the mercy and the love of God. What you need is 
to be born again, to become a fresh wineskin, or you're never going to get this. But, but the key thing here is he uses wine to illustrate his own teachings, his own doctrines. Does that make sense? So here you have an entity who is making the nations drunk. What happens when you're drunk? Reality changes. You hopefully don't get in your car and drive. Hopefully you, you haven't experienced being drunk in a long time. Because being drunk obscures your ability to make good choices in life. It, it doesn't let you see reality clearly and to do the things that you need to do. And so here we find that, that all nations are drunk through the teachings of Babylon. Does this make sense? Now we saw last week that, that Babylon, this idea that I can save myself, is really at the heart of every false religion. But, but it gets a little bit more specific as we look here because notice the pronoun that's used about Babylon here. It doesn't say that great city. It, it, it doesn't use a, a neuter here, but it uses feminine pronouns, right? When it says in verse 8, it says, She has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. So, so it's characterizing Babylon as a woman. And in the Bible, you find these beautiful pictures of what a woman was designed to represent. You find in Jeremiah that, that uh, a woman represents God's people Israel. You find in Isaiah that, that God actually says in Isaiah 64, he says, as a, as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so your God rejoices over you. You got that, Luis? So so the same excitement that that a a groom has over his bride, that's that's just a little tiny picture of how excited God gets about friendship with you. Isn't that incredible? Let that soak in. And and in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse, I think it's chapter 11, verse 2, it says that God has betrothed us as a chaste virgin to himself. And then in Revelation chapter 12, you have this picture of a, a pure bride who is, who is wearing white clothes. She represents God's people who are representing him properly, who are reflecting him properly. Does this make sense? You see that, that picture of a bride of Christ throughout the Bible, representing Israel, representing the, the New Testament church, representing God's people. And then suddenly things change here because we find that this woman, one, She's getting people to drink wine. She's, it's the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Something's gone wrong with God's people is what this is telling us here. And, and so sometimes we like to come to Revelation and we like to point it at the people out there. But, but Revelation is saying there's something wrong with, with God's people. There's something missing in their experience. So let's go over and look a little bit more clearly at what this is talking about. In Revelation chapter 8, 17, it, it gives us a clearer picture of this woman. And, and we see that that, that wasn't just, just the use of a pronoun there to, to say the Babylon represented a woman. But clearly, uh, you'll see in verse 5 of chapter 17, it says, On her forehead a name was written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. Now, now if we, we backtrack here, we'll see some more key descriptions about this woman 
who is represented as Babylon. In verse 1 it says, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bulls came and talked with me, saying, Come, and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. Now, now here's the thing here. Notice here that it's, it's not just talking about fornication, but it's actually talking about prostitution. That, that God's people have prostituted themselves. Now what happens in prostitution? In order to go and visit a prostitute, you pay money for love. There's a, an exchange of money in order to get love in this situation. When you think about it, this idea that we can merit anything in our salvation for God, this idea that there's some sort of exchange going on with God in and of itself is a prostitution picture. But there's, there's more to it than that. If you look at Ezekiel chapter 16 and chapter 23 are really where the imagery that John is drawing from from the Old Testament but there it, there it says, you've prostituted yourself, you've gone off after the idols, you're, you're depending upon these other gods and asking them to help you. And you're going off to these other nations and you're, you're paying them tribute and you're trying to get them to come and defend you rather than trusting on me to defend you. I wanted to be your husband, I wanted to be here for you. I don't know how Luis would feel if, I'm sorry, you're here and you're newlyweds, so I had to keep bringing you up, but... You know, if Stephanie, you know, she's going through some problems and she starts calling this guy who's, who's her ex-boyfriend, who's her best friend, and keeps calling him, hey, could you come because I got a flat tire? Hey, could you come over? Hey, I'm running short on, on, on money. I need some help with the groceries. If she's constantly calling somebody else for help, there's a problem in the marriage, right? God says, I'm here. I want to be your friend. But you're looking everywhere else. And, and then in Ezekiel 16, I believe it is, it says, and not only that, but to you, you weren't being paid for your harlotries, but you were paying, paying others to be a harlot. You've got it so out of whack. So, so here you find that, that it's God's people have totally missed the mark. And then it gives us a further picture of that. It says, who sits on many waters. So it says that this, this God's people who have gone astray with false teachings, it goes on to say in ver- that they're sitting on many waters. Verse 15 explains what those many waters are. It says, Then he said to me, The waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. So, so this is a popular Christianity. This is a, a, a Christianity that, that people are flocking to. This is God's people that are... Showing all nations a false picture of God. They, all nations are becoming drunk through this picture of God that is totally contrary to who God actually is. And we see this going on in history. Now, now to get a little bit clearer as to how this takes place, look at verse 2. This harlot with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication. Okay, so now it's bringing in another picture, right? A lot of times people look at Babylon and they say Babylon represents empire. Babylon represents, you know, these powers on this, th- these political powers. Well, this is saying that Babylon represents God's people who have fornicated with the kings of the earth. Is that clear here? Am I just seeing things? Or is that what it's saying here? Right? So with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication. 
and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. They, they're not able to see reality properly anymore because of the teachings of Christianity. Sadly, one of the biggest barriers to people coming to know God as a God of love, according to Revelation, according to most of the Bible, is the Christian church itself. And I, that's not easy for me to hear. It's not the, the message that I like to talk about. But it's the reality of what the Bible says. Verse 3, it says, So he carried me away in the Spirit to the wilderness. And now it's going to give us a fuller picture of how this fornication with the kings of the earth takes place. It says, So he carried me away in the Spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And, and what do beasts represent in Bible prophecy? If you were to go back to Daniel chapter 7, it's really clearly explained with Daniel chapter 7. The lion, the bear, the, the leopard, the, the dragon, that each of these beasts represented kingdoms. They represented political powers. So here you have a woman who is riding on a beast. So when you ride on an animal, who's in control? Hopefully you, right? Uh, most times, that's, that's the intention. When a human being gets on an animal, if I get on a horse, my hope is that, I have, that that horse is going to follow what I tell it to do. If I get on an elephant, it's hopeful that that elephant is going to follow what I do. Hopefully you're not riding a bull. This woman is riding the beast, and the picture when somebody is riding something is that they're the ones who are calling the shots, who are telling the directions, who are, who are giving the instructions for the way that's to go. So the picture in Revelation, you've got to capture this, is that the church is the one who is leading the governments of the world in the wrong direction. So what is the problem in the world today, according to Revelation, is not the governments themselves but it is the church who is misrepresenting the character of God. My whole goal is to invite people to Jesus, to invite them to church, to invite them to come to know the truth. And so this is challenging for me. I don't know about you, but this is not exactly what I want to hear when I read the Bible. But friends, don't let friends go on in danger without warning them without letting them know. Jesus said in Revelation 3, those whom I love, I reprove. I, I give them instruction. I help them to see where the problem is, what the heart issue is. And last week we talked about, hey, Babylon itself is this, this self-exaltation, this desire to save ourselves, to look out for ourselves, that all of us were born with it. It's in my own heart. And this is what leads me to accuse and criticize and tear others down. But as you look at what takes place with Babylon, we see that, that that's just the start of what takes place with this attitude in our hearts or in any organization of Christianity. So it goes on to say, The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filth of her fornication. And on her forehead was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. I saw the woman, notice this, drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. 
So now we see that, that there's actually two churches, right? There's the, the church that is embracing these false teachings, and it will turn, and it persecutes, and it has persecuted God's people throughout history. So let's look at Babylon real quick. Let's go back again to Daniel chapter chapter 3 this time. We looked last week at Daniel chapter 2, and in Daniel chapter 2, you have Nebuchadnezzar having this dream we looked at, and, and that dream represented that his kingdom would not last forever. But in Daniel chapter 3, he gets this great idea. He says, no, 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 I'm going to build a statue of gold that will last forever, that'll show that, that people are embracing my kingdom as the greatest. Self-exaltation at its finest, once again displayed through Nebuchadnezzar. But there's good news in Nebuchadnezzar's life. He comes around in the end. But in Daniel chapter 3, this statue is erected. And uh, Daniel is after the major prophets. I'm telling you to remind myself of that while I'm in the midst of talking. So it's after Jeremiah and Lamentations, Ezekiel. There's Daniel. It's hiding. All right. That was really... Give me time, not you, but if you had more time to get there, that's great. So Daniel chapter 3, you have this golden statue that's erected. And, and Nebuchadnezzar gives this instruction. And look at this instruction, because this is, this is key to understand about how Babylon begins to operate, where this spirit of criticism, accusation, where ultimately that root of self-exaltation winds up. Daniel chapter 3 and And uh, verse 4, Then a herald cried out, To you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Let me ask you a question here. Notice that music is being used in order to produce a false worship. So is there anything wrong with these musical instruments? Right? All of these musical instruments are musical instruments that are used in the Psalms to praise Yahweh, the true God. But here they're being used for false worship. Let me tell you that the most important thing about the music that we use is the theology that is within that music. What is it telling us about God? That is the primary thing that's dangerous about music is if it's telling us a wrong theology because music moves us. It causes us to worship. And what are we worshiping as we listen to that music? Is it a God of omnipotence? Is it a God of love? Is it a God of mercy? Is it a God of grace? But then verse 6. This is where you see that there's a real problem here beyond bowing down to this image. This shows you what is at the heart of where Babylon leads. Verse 6. It says, And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Worship or burn. That's, that's the, the picture of false worship of Babylon that is given. Hey, if you worship, great. If not, you're going to burn. Hang on a second. Have you ever heard that before? Let me read you something before we get to that. Benjamin Franklin wrote this. He said, When a religion is good, I conceive that it will support itself. 
And when it cannot support itself, and God does not take care to support so that its professors are obliged to call for the help of civil power, it is a sign I apprehend of its being a bad one. When a religion needs the help of civil powers in order to convince people, to force people, to push people, hey, if you don't worship, then you're going to be thrown into the fire. Ah, We've got a problem here. Benjamin Franklin said, hey, that is not the way that religion is supposed to operate. Signs of the Times, May 6, 1897, says it this way, Force is the last resort of every false religion. Right, so the, the heart of false religion is in wanting to save ourselves. The result is always in the use of force. At first it tries to attract as the king of Babylon tried the power of music and outward show. If these attractions invented by men inspired by Satan failed to make men worship the image, the hungry flames of the furnace were ready to consume them. So it will be now. And just think about it, this picture, we talked about it last summer, that this picture of the golden image that is set up for self-exaltation is what John is shown in Revelation chapter 13, where the lamb-like beast representing, who does the lamb-like beast represent? The United States of America, with its, its civil liberty and its religious liberty, those two horns that are, are Unlike anything else that has been done in human history, the beautiful constitution of the United States that that we are all born with inalienable rights. That that very beast will speak like a dragon in creating an image to the beast. An an image that represents the union of church and state. Using and playing on this exact same imagery that we find here. So Nebuchadnezzar says to Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, worship or burn. And friends, I want to tell you today that this is one of the most abominable teachings of the Christian church. And it is not to be found in the Bible. Now, now I want to be really clear this morning. I am not talking about hell fire. That is portrayed in the Bible. However, the idea of unending torment of the wicked where they are sustained in life to writhe in pain throughout unending ages and that this somehow brings glory to God, I can't do anything else but say that is an abominable teaching. It has to be done away with. I can't have that frame of mind about God. If I do, I'm in for a world of hurt. I love the way that the book Great Controversy depicts specifically this, this, uh, this teaching. Great Controversy, page 536, it says, It is beyond the power of the human mind to estimate the evil which has been wrought by the heresy of eternal torment. The religion of the Bible, full of love and goodness and abounding in compassion, is darkened by superstition and clothed with terror. You realize that this is what was going on in the dark ages, that people were told, hey, if you don't give enough money, you're going to burn. When we consider in what false colors Satan has painted the character of God, can we wonder that our merciful Creator is feared and dreaded and even hated? 
the appalling views of God which have spread over the world from the teachings of the pulpit have made thousands, yes, millions of skeptics and infidels. Why do we have a problem with skeptics and infidels today? Why is atheism such a rising issue? Because of the church. Because of our false teachings about who God is by by saying that God eternally torments people unendingly, allows them to writhe in pain throughout eternity. That is one part of the wine of Babylon. goes on to say exactly that. The theory of eternal torment is one of the false doctrines that constitute the wine of the abomination of Babylon, of which she makes all nations drink. The good news is that whoever believes in Jesus... Whosoever believes, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Every single person is given the choice to perish or to have life. You are given the freedom. Do you want to exist in God's presence or do you want not to exist in God's presence? This is the choice, life or death, not different qualities of life, but do you want life? Or do you want death? Well, I'm thankful that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego boldly stood up and said, look, and they were reported for not having bowed down. And as they came before the king, he said, look, I'm going to give you another chance. I like you guys. I'm going to give you a chance. But if you don't, I'm going to heat the the furnace even hotter. And they said, king, we can do nothing else. It's fine if you want to throw us in there. Our God is able to deliver us. But even if he does not, we will not bow down. And God is looking for a people today who will say, no, 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 I'm going to worship the true God no matter what anybody says, no matter how much anybody might try to influence me in another direction, I will worship this infinite God of love. Now, it's funny because the whole story goes and they go and they're thrown into the fiery furnace and Jesus shows up and he'll show up for you in persecution. He'll show up for you in trial. And he's there with them in the midst of the fire and the fire does not harm them. Just like in Revelation 15, when they're standing on the sea of glass mingled with fire and they're, they're not consumed, they're able to be in the presence of God. They're right there with Jesus in the furnace. And Nebuchadnezzar is shocked. And so what does a Babylonian king do when he finds out that there is a different God? Well, look at what he does. Verse 26. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire. And the satraps... uh, Then verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar spoke saying, and they didn't even smell of smoke. Nebuchadnezzar spoke saying, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now we're talking. Babylon's seen the light. Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And they have frustrated the king's world and word and yielded their bodies and they should not serve nor worship any God except their own God. This is incredible. Look at what these guys did. And then he shows that Babylon is still in his heart. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or language who speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made an ash heap, because there is no other God who can deliver like this God. 
Great, he's worshiping the true God, right? Or is he? Is it possible that although he has confessed that their God is the true God, he still is worshiping the false God? Is it possible to be worshiping Jesus, but to be worshiping a false God, depending upon how we allow that truth to transform our own hearts? Hey, this is a weekly occurrence. This is fantastic. Everybody wave. Maybe next week they'll come to church with us. If we wave enough, maybe they'll, they'll be attracted. Here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus invites us to friendship. He invites us to come. He gives us invitation after invitation. But He never uses force. He never compels. He never pushes us. You know, this is really real. This, this is the type of thing that is actually going on in the Christian church today. And, and I know this not just from studying about it, but I know it from a friend's personal experience. There was a friend of mine who went to a church in Atascadero. And he walked into that church in Atascadero. And, and remember, what's happening that this church is doing with the kings of the earth? They're seeking for secular power. The church is looking for secular power, right? And you see this happening in the Dark Ages where Constantine is, is given this uh, authority. Uh, the, the church is, is, is taking on the reins of the Roman Empire and eventually the popes are the most powerful people in all of the Roman Empire. Well, my friend walks into a church here in Atascadero and he sees that in the lobby, they're meeting indoors without masks, and he sees that in the lobby there is a political booth. And so he asked them, so what happened to this whole separation of church and state or something like that? And a conversation began to ensue, which eventually led to him walking away and sitting in the church. At which point the pastor of this church walks up to my friend and tells him that he has a, a bunch of people watching him and that he is ready to drag him out of the church. Do you see any problem with this? Or are you only seeing a helicopter? Just curious. Is this a problem? If, if, if my politics disagree with your politics and I'm threatening to drag you out of church. You see, the picture is that God's people will attempt to ride on this government power, that they will attempt to control, and eventually they'll erect a false system of worship in which they'll coerce everyone to worship, or you won't be able to buy or sell, and eventually you'll be threatened with death. And it's pretty fascinating because as he walked out of the church in uh, the parking lot, he saw all these various bumper stickers, but one van in particular, I actually saw the same van at Costco. This van has a bumper sticker for that church, and it has a cross on it, and it has the Christian radio station right there. And then up above that on the window, it says love. Isn't that awesome? Love is the fulfillment of the law. Love is what it's all about. You know how they put love? It's a handgun, a grenade, two rifles for a V, and the E is, is an AK-47 or something like that. Is that love? It is this what Jesus represents when he says, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who persecute you? Is that 
Christian. And, and here's the incredible thing. That pastor actually said in his sermon that Muslims do not worship the true God. But is that church worshiping the true God? I am not one to judge. But what I understand from the Bible is that in the end, the most dangerous thing is not Islam, but it is God's people who misrepresent God's character. And if I'm missing something, please come tell me. Please show me, because this is too important to just mess around with. Please show me from Scripture what is missing here. But, but what I'm seeing here is God saying, hey, watch out for Babylon. It is dangerous. In fact, go back to Revelation chapter, chapter uh, 18 now, the next chapter over. And here we see again that the good news is going to light the whole earth. And then we see a repetition of this message that Babylon is fallen. And this is, remember, this is good news because it's telling us that, that, that self-exaltation, that hatred, that force, that coercion, that war, this will not last forever, but this whole system will come crashing down. It will implode and it will not last forever. So when it says Babylon has fallen, this is good news. Revelation chapter 18 and verse 1 says, After these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. This is the picture of that first angel's message, the everlasting good news that Jesus has done it all. It's represented in the Sabbath that, that he has finished the work as creator and he's finished the work as our Savior. It is finished. And you can rest in his finished work. And when you know the love of Christ like that, it changes every relationship in your life and you begin to treat people with the mercy and grace that has been extended to you. When we don't know that, it creates Babylon. It creates confusion, even in our own relationships as well as in our world around us. And it scatters us. It, it divides us. It creates conflict. It creates war. It creates arguing. It creates division. So, so the whole earth is going to be filled with His glory. That's the good news. Everybody's going to see that God is love. And the more effectively that we come to grasp this, the more brightly that God is going to shine the spotlight on what you have to say to the world, on the actions that are exhibiting God's love, on what's happening in our selfless acts of love through His power, not our own. Verse 2, And He cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. The picture is that Babylon will be taken over by powers that are the opposite of Jesus. Now, now remember, when, when James and John, they went to that Samaritan village and they said, hey, Jesus is coming to town. Would you prepare a place for Jesus? And they said, no, we don't want Jesus to come here. And they come back to Jesus and they say, Jesus, those Samaritans, they rejected you. You want us to call fire down from heaven on them just like Elijah did? And Jesus said, you do not know what spirit you are of. This is the teachings of demons and of satanic origin. This is not how God operates. God doesn't say, worship me or I'm going to consume you with fire. Worship or else. Instead, he says, come. Here's the invitation. I love you. In fact, I laid down my life. In fact, I went through the experience of hell itself on the cross so that you never have to. 
I experience separation from my Father so that you could forever be united with Him. Will you come? Will you accept this invitation to friendship with me? So we see that Babylon has become a a habitation for for, uh, demons, a prison of every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hateful bird. And then verse 3, For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. This is a repetition of what we just saw. The drunk, they're drunk. They're, they're not seeing things clearly, all nations, from the, the wrath of her fornication. This is uh, a, an angry, a, a forceful, a, a, a persecuting type of doctrine that's taking place in this church. Then it goes on to say, the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. Uh, that's the, the emphasis there again, is that it's a political melding of church and state. And this is never in God's order. We are never to think that we come to the place where religion is not powerful enough to win people to Jesus. I love how it says it in, uh, if I can find it here really fast. In Mount of Blessings, page 127, this, this commentary on the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave. It says, Christ does not drive, but draws men unto him. The only compulsion which he employs, the only way that he's going to compel anybody, is the constraints of love. When the church begins to seek for the support of a secular power, it is evident that she is devoid of the power of Christ, the constraint of divine love. Now, I get it. it it's tempting to say, hey, Look at the world around us. We need more of Jesus. Do we need more of Jesus in the world around us today? I want for the Bible to be what is saturating our culture so that everybody comes in contact with Jesus. I want for children to grow up in a world where they're taught that Jesus is everything. But the Bible is really clear. That that never comes through political enactments. But instead, it comes as we as a church begin to accept the outpouring of His Holy Spirit and we shine with our good works, with our words, that we share this character of a God of infinite love. And any time that we look now, 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 don't get me wrong. We should always vote according to biblical principles. We should always vote according to what we understand to be truth. But when we seek for the state to enforce biblical ideals on people's conscience, the liberty of conscience is incredibly valuable. It's what has made this country so powerful. That this was a place where all religions could come and they could be. And that is the picture of a God who gives and creates humanity in his own image to be able to choose. You think about it. If God wanted for us to not have the choice to choose evil, he wouldn't have placed the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden. He wouldn't have allowed Satan to come down here and to tempt us. But he wanted for you to be able to see that his character is so much more beautiful, that truth can stand. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. He wanted you to know that Jesus is attractive. And so he allowed for these other things to be apparent. He gave us religious liberty from the very beginning. 
And when that is taken away, you see it with Cain and Abel. Cain worships with a false system of worship, trying to do it by his own works. Abel is worshiping based upon the Lamb, based upon what Jesus can do. And what takes place? Cain eventually kills Abel. Force is used to enforce false worship. Anytime that force is necessary to, in, to get people to believe what we believe, we've missed it. We've missed Jesus. And we're worshiping a false picture of God. But it goes on from there. Notice what it says. It says in verse 3, Revelation chapter 18, verse 3, the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. So the, there's a, a double picture here. There's the picture of those who are buying into her lies and there's a picture of those who are like, hey, this is great because I'm benefiting. I'm getting richer through this. There's an economic gain for me here. I'm going to support this system because it's enriching me. Go ahead and read the rest of Revelation 18 because that doesn't last. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Friends, this is serious. This is important because the world that we're living in is beginning to embrace both a rejection of God. You see, Babylon can only lead to two things. It can lead to slavish obedience or slavish servitude of a false picture of God, or it can lead to a hatred for that God. Those are the two things that, that, that end results for Babylon. So when we look at the, the atheism in the world today, when we look at, at the, the hedonism in the world today, when we say, Where, why is society becoming so godless? The Bible again and again points the finger back to the church. And says, what we need is revival. What we need is transformation. And when that takes place, then the world will be drawn to Jesus. If I, have, if I am lifted up, I will draw all to myself. But here's the thing. I really want for our society to have uh, the ideals uh, of biblical Christianity. I want for God to be placed first and foremost in our country. I want to make America godly again. How about you? The way to do that is never through the state. But this is important because how many of you have ever heard of John MacArthur? John MacArthur is a pastor in Southern California. Huge church there. He's written a lot of books. There's a lot of, in fact, I don't discourage you from reading a lot of what he's written, a lot of good commentary on the Bible. John MacArthur has been somebody that I have looked to before for, for biblical insights. But this is what he had to say the Sunday before last. He said the new administration will uphold religious freedom. I don't even support religious freedom. Religious freedom is what sends people to hell. To say I support religious freedom is to say I support idolatry. It's to say I support lies. I support hell. I support the kingdom of darkness. You can't say that. No Christian with half a brain would say we support religious freedom. We support the truth. And this is the same pastor who last fall was telling people that if he didn't, you didn't vote in a very particular way, that you were not a Christian. You see, we have to be very careful when we meld politics and religion together because if you and I come to sit together as brothers and sisters and, and what is more important is our politics than our brotherhood in Christ, then we've got a problem. 
Friends, I'm not pointing at you as much as I'm pointing at myself. Because these are the issues that can most embroil us sometimes. But God says, step off that ground. Focus on Jesus. Focus on how He grants religious freedom to everyone. And you know, I want for our nation to be a nation where Jesus is lifted up. And I'm going to give you two examples of a prayer that was prayed in our Capitol building. And this first prayer, I'm going to be honest, it makes me really, really uncomfortable. This was prayed on January 3. It says, I dare and dare I ask, O Lord, peace, even in this chamber now and ever, evermore. We ask it in the name of the monotheistic God, Brahma, and God, uh, and God known by many names, by many different faiths. Amen and a woman. That doesn't even make sense. And I don't want people thinking that they should go and worship Brahma or that, it, that it's okay. Any path will lead to God. There is only one Savior who says, I've paid it all for you. Every other false religion says you've got to do something. I don't want my girls to grow up in a society where they're faced with that kind of thing. But I have the right to vote. But let me ask you this. Is religious freedom to allow somebody to pray that in our capital? Or is religious freedom to invite somebody to pray this prayer, which was also prayed just a couple of days later in the Capitol building? Jesus Christ, we invoke your name. Amen. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for gracing us with this opportunity. Thanks to our Heavenly Father. Amen. For this opportunity to stand up for our God-given unalienable rights. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for being the inspiration needed to these police officers to allow us into the building, to allow us to exercise our rights, to allow us to send a message to all the tyrants, the communists, and the globalists that this is our nation, that they're not theirs, that we will not allow America, the American way of the United States of America, to go down. Thank you, divine, omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent Creator God for filling this chamber with your white light and love and with your white light of harmony. Thank you for filling this chamber with patriots that love you. Yes, Lord, and that love Christ. Thank you, divine Creator God, for surrounding with divine omnipresence, white light of love and protection and peace and harmony. Thank you for allowing the United States of America to be reborn. Thank you for allowing us to get rid of the communists, the globalists, and the traitors within our government. We love you, and we thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, now, now when I, I hear that prayer, I agree with it in so many more ways. Overall, I'm not saying I agree with the whole thing. Than I do with the first prayer. But we live in a country where there's a separation of church and state. And any time that there is a movement that is seeking to push Jesus forcefully into people's lives, that is Antichrist. It is the harlot of Revelation 17. And I can't be your pastor and say anything else. If you're find that there's something else here, please come show me. But I have to be a watchman on the wall to say these are the dangers that are facing us. We are being blinded by our politics. And what we need is to fix our eyes on the loving character of Jesus Christ. And this is hard. It's a hard teaching. So I remember a few years back talking with Leah about having Abby and Olivia. And we didn't know we were going to have twins at that time. But I said, look, 
I don't know. I don't know if I want my kids to grow up in this world where they're exposed to all these things. It's just so much immorality, so much godlessness. I mean, can we really raise kids in this society? I don't know. And that's why we preach. That's why we share Jesus. That's why everybody needs to see by our love who God is so that hopefully as many people as possible can be transformed and changed from the hatred that is filling this country. But the answer will never come through the state. There is no answer on the left or the right that will satisfy the wants and needs of the souls of men and women in the United States of America. That want and need is Jesus Christ and his invitation, not his coercion, to come. If you're weary and heavy laden, come to me. Come, will you choose this day whom you will serve? Will you choose Jesus? Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that your arms are open wide. You're giving an invitation to all of humanity. And thank you for the promise that the whole earth will be filled with your glory. Lord, may that day come. May your spirit fill us now. And Lord, we ask, I ask that any seed, any root of Babylon, a desire for self-exaltation, a desire to force others into what I believe and know is best for their lives. Lord, I ask that any root of Babylon will be taken out of my heart and out of all of our hearts, and that we will see Jesus in all of his love offering freely the gift of life. Lord, help us to more effectively share this gift with other people so that the world around us can be transformed through your loving invitation, through the freedom that you give us to accept or reject your invitation. Thank you for your amazing love for us. Thank you for this chance to worship Jesus for all that he's done and the incredible love that he has for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.